Good morning, church family. How we doing? Okay, we'll try over here. How are you guys doing? You doing all right over here? How about you guys? How are we doing? This section right here. Okay. You were second, so you should have known this was coming. Okay. How about the, this section? This section? See, we're slow learners, but we learn. Okay. How about this section? Come on now. Oh, oh, oh. Whoa, oh. They stood up. They win. <laughs> so, and I know those ladies, they like to win. <sighs> anyway, hey, uh, I'm glad you're here. We are continuing this series, Fear Not. The truth about fear is this. It's not something that you can dance around. Uh, you can't go over it or under it. One point or another, you've got to move straight through it. Uh, fear has to be faced. Uh, there's been a lot of opportunities in my life to face fear. I remember one of the first times, I've told this story before, so bear with me, but I, I believe, honestly, it was one of the, a pivotal moment in how I've handled fear ever since that moment. When I was young, we lived way out of town, and uh, we lived far enough out of town that instead of just giving us like a, a normal trash can, they gave us a big dumpster. Uh, and, and we had a lot of trash and they didn't want to come pick up our trash that often. So we had a big dumpster, but we put the dumpster like uh, about a hundred yards away from the house that we lived in. And, and I remember one of my jobs was to take the trash out, but I hated it when I got asked to take the trash out at night. Right? Because, because I, I was like, I was just a little kid. I was like eight or nine years old. And so I'd have the trash and so I'd, I'd carry it out towards the trash can, and, you know, I, I'm walking just as steadily as I can, but every time I would go out, and it wasn't just, like, at taking the trash out, but at other points leading up to that moment, every time I was in a situation like that, I would always have this picture in my mind of this, like, creature, this, like, demonic creature that was just out there waiting for me somewhere. And so I would, I would carry the trash and I would do the same thing every time. I'd just, I'd walk, I'd carry the trash. And then as soon as I'd throw it in the dumpster, I would turn and I would run as fast as I could back to the house because I was just convinced that this creature was gonna wait until after I threw the trash in the dumpster to get me. And I knew I could outrun it. And I remember I did this. This is just what, the way I would do it, like every single time. But I remember one night, went through the same routine, threw the trash bag into the dumpster, turned, started to run, ran about five steps and stopped. And I turned around and I faced the darkness. And I yelled out loud, no! I'm not gonna run anymore. I don't have to be afraid of anything. I believe in Jesus. I stood there a little bit and I turned and I ran back into the house. <laughs> but, and I know this is funny, kind of cute little story, but I'm telling you, when I stopped and I faced my fear, 
God started something in me that I've carried for the rest of my life. Because what I've learned, it's when you stop and you walk into the greatest fears of your life is when the greatest faith is gonna be born inside of you. And if you don't ever face that, then your faith is it's weak, shakable. And so there's been so many things, and this is the way we raise our kids. If fear starts to creep in, what creep in, whatever is causing that fear to happen, that's the very thing that you run straight at and you don't back down. There's a difference between fear and respect. But I find that a lot of fear in our lives is based in the fear of death. We've talked about the fear of the future, we've talked about the fear of man, but a lot of fear, if you if you go through the process of elimination, a lot of fear is ultimately based in this fear, the fear of dying. Think about it. How many of you guys are afraid of spiders? Okay, let's just be honest. Don't lie in church. God will kill you. Okay, it, it, but, it, but, but let's just think about how illogical this is. You are literally a million times the mass of that spider but that spider will dictate your life. You will leave your home to get away from a spider. Why? You're not actually afraid of the spider. You're afraid that if it's a really bad spider, that spider could bite you and you're gonna die. Snakes, death. Heights, death. We're not afraid of flying in planes. We're afraid the plane is going to crash. Death. And then I find that there's a lot of other fears that we are afraid because of a line of thinking, really an irrational line of thinking. These are the types of fears. They keep us up at night, but they all kind of track down to the fear of death. Like a fear of not passing an exam. Oh God. I don't pass this, this test. I'm gonna fail this class, and I'm gonna fail this class, I'm not gonna get a degree, and if I don't get a degree, I'm gonna starve to death. <laughs> Fear of death. In my experience, there's a lot of people that are completely controlled by this. Let me encourage you with something. Um, the death rate is only 100%. Welcome to New Life Church. I hope you feel encouraged today. <laughs> but a lot of people in the Bible fear death too. Uh, Peter, you guys remember Peter in the Bible? Like he, this guy had some major fear. Think about when he got out when he's walking on the water. Like Jesus is right there. He'd seen Jesus do miracles and stuff. But he, long, he kept his eyes on Jesus, but then he started thinking about the waves. Death. And he started to sink, right? Why do you think he denied Christ three times to what most theologians believe was a little girl? Because he was afraid that he would receive the same punishment he knew Jesus was getting ready to receive. He was afraid of death. So he had the fear of man, he had the fear of death. We know that. 
But then something changed. After Jesus rose from the grave, he actually talked to Peter about how Peter was going to die. Like at this point, Jesus knew, like this is a fear that's inside. By the way, you're not gonna, you're gonna die a pretty horrible death. Peter's like, what about John? Is John gonna die a horrible death too? He's like, no, he's not actually, just you. It's gonna be you, it's gonna be bad. Sorry. So what changed? Well, I believe it all changed on the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit, man. So you, understand, you have to understand he's a person, the Holy Spirit. He is not an it. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Holy Spirit's who's with us. Man, when you start talking to him, you start walking with him, it'll change the way you see fear. So, so Peter gets the Holy Spirit. Or some of you say the Holy Ghost. You raise them kind of crazy churches. Uh, and that's cool. We love that. We love crazy churches. Uh, but the Holy Spirit, so he gets this. And all of a sudden, from then on, from then on, Peter flipped a switch. And all of a sudden, <laughs> he's bold. He's so bold. He doesn't even care. He's just declaring the gospel all over the place completely set free from the fear of death. And he, by the way, died as a martyr, crucified upside down. Man, you talk about being set free from fear. It's so powerful. When we read verses like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, some of us, we can read it, but we may not believe it. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? And I've read this at funerals before because I just want so desperately for people to have a different perspective about death. That you don't have to walk around. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, death is a lie. You'll never experience death. Well, if you're never gonna experience it, there's nothing to be afraid of. Physical death. That's nothing. You live forever if you're with Christ. So the worst thing that could ever happen to you is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And when you see it that way, it changes the way you walk through life. It's easy to say it until you face it. So a few years ago when Cody was diagnosed with skin cancer and at first it seemed really serious and we weren't sure what the outcome was gonna be. All of a sudden that fear starts creeping in and we started having a conversation we weren't planning on having for another 40 years. Like the, all the what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. The primary thing I was really concerned about is I was gonna be a single dad at that point, three kids, we had three kids? Yeah, three kids at that time. And I was like, Cody is the primary person keeping these kids alive. And I'm really concerned about their well-being. Uh, but I'll tell you, when that, when that happens, I'll say every emotion, when the reality of death is at your doorstep, every emotion is on the table. And at points, it can be very overwhelming. And I want to say that there is no Christian cliche that'll work at that point. People will try. They'll try. But you're just like, oh, thanks. Yeah. Stats still aren't great. Still's pretty bad. So what changed? We made the decision. This is either true or it's not. 
We're either gonna believe or we're gonna be swallowed up in fear. But we decided to believe. We didn't believe on our own. We also had to be open and vulnerable and let some other people believe with us and pray with us and stand on his word with us. We've talked about Daniel a little bit over the last few weeks, and I can't really get away from this story because I think these guys really understood how to face fear. We talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they went through the fiery furnace, but Daniel had some stuff to face too. So I want to talk about how Daniel faced the fear of death, being thrown into a lion's den. Daniel chapter six, a lot of theologians believe that this is a type of Christ and even how Christ approached the reality of his death and approaching that. And I wanna give you some things, some thoughts, some ideas, and some lifestyle that if you will use these things to replace your thoughts of fear, it'll change your life, it'll change the life of the people around you, and it'll impact eternity. The first thing is this, my legacy will be the character of my life. In other words, when you understand what really matters, how you're going, what you're gonna leave behind, and you're living with that in mind all the time, you're not focused on the fear of death, you're focused on making the most of every opportunity right in front of you. You live that way. And please don't confuse legacy with success. Those are two different things. Or don't confuse legacy with stuff. If you're driven at stuff, you can still be completely consumed with fear. In my experience, most people that are consumed with stuff have even more fear because they're really afraid they're gonna lose their stuff. In Daniel chapter six, verse three, it says, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge against Daniel in his conduct and government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no, everybody say no, no corruption in him because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. So I, I, the NIV doesn't really say this the way I like it. I like how the New King James Version says, it says he had a spirit of excellence about him. This is this inward attitude that affects all of your output. If you are raising kids or coaching kids or whatever, if they can get this, this is a life lesson. If they can get this, they will be promoted for the rest of their life. But it says that they were unable to find anything wrong with Daniel. Crazy. What? So just like Jesus, how they were trying to find stuff to pin on Jesus. They couldn't find anything. But it's the same thing with Daniel. But essentially, they had 70 years of history to dig through. 70 years. And they could find nothing. How many of y'all would vote for Daniel for president? Come on now. 70 years. Some of us. They could dig for 70 seconds to be like, throw them in jail. Like, <laughs> lock them away. They couldn't find anything wrong with Daniel. No corruption, nothing he did wrong. No tweets, no deleted emails, no interns. We'll stop there, but you get my point. 
And there was no negligence. Like there was nothing he should have done that he didn't do. His personal character stood out like it always does. Okay, when you understand that and you live with character and integrity because you know that it is a witness, you know that it is a legacy, you know that you wanna leave something strong and good behind, man, it changes the way you see things. But, but I also understand that it is very difficult if you don't have or hadn't had strong character. Raising kids, it is so hard to get your kids to understand how important their character is. You're just constantly working this. You're just constantly trying to get, hey, your character, this represents your character. It's just, okay, you made a mistake. That doesn't define you. That doesn't define you. You made a mistake. We got to move forward. But how many you know, kids make a lot of mistakes. So we're raising leaders in our house, okay? If you know what I'm saying. And, and so all of our kids, man, they're just strong-willed. Our youngest, Grayson, oh my goodness, this girl, she has got a strong will. We say about all of our kids, they're either gonna be leaders of nations or they're gonna lead gangs in prisons because they're just, they're gonna be leading somewhere. And, and their character, you know, we're not sure exactly, but she, the other morning, she, we were up and everybody's kind of just making breakfast for themselves, you know, just kind of do, do your own thing, cereal, whatever you want to do. So I made some breakfast for myself and Grace comes to like, did you make me any? I'm like, no, baby, we're all kind of making our own breakfast. She's like, okay. <laughs> so I wasn't sure what that meant. But uh, we cooked with cast iron skillets a lot. Anybody cook with cast iron skillets? So we'd cooked with a cast iron skillet the night before, and I think we'd cooked some hot dogs or something like that, but we didn't clean it because, you know, a good cast iron skillet, you leave some stuff in it every once in a while, and it seasons it. Also, we just got late, and we didn't clean it up, all right? That's okay. And, but anyway, so there was this kind of like black film still in the cast iron skillet. Next thing I know, Grayson's over there. She's cracked over nine eggs, <laughs> scrambled them, and already put them in this skillet. So I go over there, I'm like, baby, what's your? she's like, I'm making breakfast for myself. I'm like, baby, you know that the cat, the, I wasn't clean. You, never mind. <laughs> so she started cooking up these eggs, and those eggs started turning gray, right? But she's just over there determined. Just like, making myself breakfast. Stacked all them eggs on top of a plate. She goes over and she starts, she takes a bite. <laughs> but she's determined. I made myself breakfast. Like, no, you wasted nine eggs. She went up throwing the rest of the plate away. She took four bites, done. What's the point? Point is, some of y'all have made some huge mistakes and we can't unscramble all those eggs. But I ain't talking about the past. I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about right now. Right now. You can make a decision. You can make a covenant in your heart that that thing that has been controlling you no longer has to control you. You can bring that before Jesus right now because a lot of you can think, well, that's great for Daniel. Super godly guy, lived his whole life, didn't make any mistakes. Some of you are like, I sinned six times driving to church this morning. Like, <laughs> and so you can look at Daniel and just get hopeless. That's walking in shame. 
And if you walk in shame, then you, no, you, you live life in the rearview mirror, always looking at what's behind you instead of understanding what God has in front of you. Or you can walk in grace. Grace is about now, today, today. There's junk in your life, and guess what? It can get washed up. Anybody ever need a pressure washer to their soul before? I know I have. I know I have. But I want to let you know that your legacy can be that that stick that Satan has been beating you up with you can take it from him and whip him till Jesus comes back. You can take that condemnation and that shame and those mistakes and throw it right back in his face and say, yeah, but God, and because of the blood of Jesus, I am more than an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony. And you can start walking with good character today. You can get free. Number two, I've learned I have to have peace that can only come from God. My peace comes from my time in his presence. Let's keep reading verse five. They said to each other, we're not gonna be able to find anything which to accuse Daniel unless it's something in connection with his religion because they knew how committed he was to God. So they went to see the king and said, King Darius, may your majesty live forever. All of us who administer your empire, the supervisors, the governors, the lieutenant governors, all the other officials have agreed that your majesty should issue an order to an, and enforce it strictly. Give an order that for 30 days, no one be permitted to request anything from any God or from any human being except from your majesty. Okay, so they set it up. They basically made this king, Darius, a God, which still happens today. People still have a tendency to make people where they put their trust. As long as people, it's where you put your trust, you're gonna walk in a lot of fear because people let you down. That's a fact. At one point or another, you have to come to grips. Your hope is not in a person. It is not in a boss. It is not in government. Your hope, your peace, your joy has to come from God. And the moment that you can surrender to that, the moment you're gonna walk in way more peace. But they put him in this position and basically said that if anyone breaks this edict, that's what they called it, an edict, if anyone breaks this edict, that they'd be fed to the lions, okay? So, so they do this. Uh, and by the way, the enemy has written an edict over your life. He has made dec declarations over you. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he has written declarations over your life to achieve that goal. But you have to understand that God has also written an edict over your life. And God's edict supersedes any declaration that any person or devil, the devil himself has ever tried to declare over you. And I think the reason why Daniel had so much confidence is because he understood who he was in God. Why? Because he spent time with him. 
He spent time with them every single day. He spent time with them. But the Bible says Daniel goes home. Daniel works in government. He knows that this edict came out and he doesn't care. His hope is not in the government. His faith, his trust is not in what he is gonna be obedient and what God has asked him to do. So he goes home. More than likely, he goes up on his roof. There's a lot of people around. They can all see him doing this and he starts praying. And he prays. I believe he prayed a passion prayer, put on some sunglasses, dropped the mic. Because he's just like, bring it on, big boy. I don't care. I'm gonna put my hope and trust in my God because he's always carried me through. I'm just gonna trust in him. And so they see this. If it were me, I would have I would have gone and had a conversation with homeboy. Like Daniel, chill. Like, first of all, it's 30 days. You can hold off 30 days. What's the big deal? A lot of people don't pray for 30 days. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I've met them all. Kids said, no, let's, we're gonna protest. That's what we'll do. We'll go downtown and shut everything down. We'll pick it and then we'll try to motivate and steer people's emotions by getting cute puppies and babies. And could have said, why don't we just kind of pray under our breath a little bit, Daniel? Kind of incognito. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. The problem is there is no such thing as a godly person living their faith in secret. That is an oxymoron. It's like the phrase jumbo shrimp. (laughs) That don't make sense. A non-witnessing Christian is an oxymoron. It says this in Daniel 11, 32. But the people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. How do you know him? Well, Daniel knew him because he spent three times a day praying in God's presence. So he didn't hesitate. He was, he was fearless. Do you think if you prayed three times a day it would change your confidence? <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> Let me help you out on that one. I promise you. But I would, I would challenge you, what, what, if you change your prayer life 3%, it would change your perspective on fear. Because when you spend time in the presence of the creator of the universe, fear feels silly. Fear feels like, why in the world was I wasting my time? so much bigger. He's so much bigger. Because there's going to be times in your life, whether it's a cancer diagnosis or struggling with a kid or persecution and so many other situations that you're going to have to have a peace that transcends understanding. And you only get that peace in the presence of God. That's the only place you get it. It says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Whose mind is stayed on you. And I just want to let you know, that only comes with you unplugging from everything and just getting into his presence. So I don't mind an encouraging word on Facebook every once in a while. Please stop sending the messages that say, if you'll send this, repeat this, you're going to be blessed today. Can I get an amen? 
quit trying to heap condemnation on us if we don't copy and paste your thing that we're not good Christians, okay? But, but the, the bottom line is this, until you unplug and just say, God, I need you. I need you. And get out of your head. Look, the enemy has been waging war in your brain since the beginning of time, and he is winning that battle. But the moment you begin declaring in faith out loud what you're gonna believe and what God's edict is over your life, you start defeating the enemy's plan immediately because this is irrefutable truth. He can't stand up against it. That's where Daniel got his confidence in the presence of God. It says in 1 John 4, 18, perfect love drives out all fear. Perfect love is found in the presence of God. Also, I understand the impact of my life is my witness. You gotta know that your life is meant to make a difference. That's our vision for you. Our vision for you is that someday you would stand before your heavenly father and he would declare over your life, well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't think that everyone that goes to heaven gets that. I think there's a lot of people that are saved by grace and they're going to heaven, but they're not living with eternity in mind. They're not living with the urgency that souls are in the balance. And that God has asked us to be ambassadors and vessels of his love and his grace. Way more than in the things that we say and much more in the way that we live. The way that we love people. Your life matters. You are made to make an eternal impact in other people's lives. So this plot works. Darius is, he's bummed about it. He's really upset. He's actually very remorseful, but he has to throw Daniel in the lion's den because at that time, there's no repeal. When, when, when a, a king, when the king made an edict, it's done, it's set. He can't change it. So he has to do this, but he's upset about it. And so he takes him and he throws him in the lion's den. And up to this point, I'm good with the story. Now I'm not an author, but in my opinion, this is where the story takes a wrong turn. I mean, I'm not trying to correct God and how he wrote the Bible, but I've watched a lot of episodes of like crime shows and stuff like that. So I know like how the plot should be written because at one point you give the people what they want, right? But that's not what happens. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den and then this is what it says in verse 16. So the king gives, gave the order for Daniel to be taken and thrown into the pit filled with lions. He said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve so loyally rescue you a stone was put over the mouth of the pit and the king placed his own royal seal and the seal of his noblemen on the stone so that no one could rescue Daniel. In other words, they would know if somebody moved the stone, it would break the seal. Then the king returned to the palace and spent a sleepless night without food or any form of entertainment. So God wants me to understand how Darius's night went and I could care less. Like who cares about Darius? What's happening in the pits? With the lions, how many lions were there? Were they aggressive? Were they like leaping? And then an angel just like smack them aside? Like, I want to know that story. And people hypothesize like, this is how it happened. God took the smell of human away from Daniel and he hid in the hay. Or 
God became a lion dentist and just removed all their teeth so they could roar but couldn't bite. But, but we don't know what happened. We just know that Darius had a tough night. <laughs> Why? Because God wasn't worried about one of his kids that was under his protection. He was highlighting someone that was far from him wrestling. That's God's highlight right now in this room. Some of y'all are wrestling with the Lion of Judah, the conviction of Jesus Christ, his spirit. It says that King Darius was so convicted about this that there was no song, there's no drink, there's no drug, no entertainment, no dancer. Shakira and JLo had to go home, they got fired. None of those things were working. How do you know when God starts dealing with you? When there's just nothing of this world that can satisfy you any longer. You're just done with it. You need something more. This is exactly how God deals with me when I'm off. Yeah, as a pastor, I'm not always on. I question God. I deal with anxiousness this last week, even last night, dealing with anxiousness. Woke up at 4.30 because I was just wrestling with something, dealing with something. I had to make a decision. Where am I gonna go with this? But I've learned there's only one place I can go and get rest back, and get peace back. I wish I could have had a little more sleep. That would have been cool. But I got something so much better than sleep. I got peace. I got rest. Because I went to my heavenly father. So the next morning, Darius wakes up and he's a new convert. This is what he says. I command that throughout my empire, everyone should fear and respect Daniel's God. He is a living God. He will rule forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His power will never come to an end. He saves and rescues. This is King Darius. Performs wonders and miracles in heaven and on earth. One of the reasons why it's so important for you to live with the godly confidence and boldness that he's made all of us to live with is because it's such a powerful testimony and witness to the people around us. And we know that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love that we have in God through Christ Jesus. It makes a difference in people around us too. I believe that on the other side of your greatest fear is also your greatest ministry. And that is the whole reason why the enemy tries to keep you gripped in fear is so that you become ineffective towards your purpose. Because God didn't just save or sent Jesus to save you from sin. 
I mean, talk about talk about kind of a anticlimactic ending. Yeah, you're saved from your sin. Have a good life. No. He saved you from your sin and gave you a purpose. Gave you a purpose. Gave you a job. And the enemy knows that. Some of you, you're away from God right now. You don't have a relationship with him. Some of you, you're dealing with addiction. You're dealing with depression. You're dealing with a lot of different things. I'm not saying everything comes from the enemy, but the enemy doesn't mind using anything he possibly can. And I believe that for some of you, it's because the enemy senses the potential of what you can do if you actually walked in freedom. He senses it. He's been studying people a long time. He knows when someone could really do some damage. And for some of you, he is using fear and maybe even the fear of death to keep you wounded and crippled. I believe God wants you to have confidence. Growing up, I watched this, this play. Some of you have seen this play before. It's called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody ever seen that, that play before? Anybody? Just surveying, just wanna make sure I'm giving a relevant analogy. Okay, it relates to seven people that were willing to raise their hands. So I'm still gonna tell it, so there. But, but this play, this is how it works. Basically, it sets up all these different scenarios, like families, husbands and wives, families with kids, and they're just living their life. And then something tragic happens, okay? And, and just so you know, it's kind of all pretty cheesy. Like, like they're just, hey, they're driving in a car. So they're like literally sitting on stage and like, chairs and like pretending like they're riding in a car. And then all of a sudden the lights go out and the tires screech and they're in this huge wreck. And the next scene is they're standing at the pearly gates and there's this angel there. And this angel has this big book open, the Lamb's Book of Life, where your name is supposed to be written if you're going to get into heaven. And so the problem is there's, there's different people in each scenario and some people know Jesus and some people don't know Jesus. So they all come up and they approach this angel and they say, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And, and when it, the answer is yes, then the, the, the lights get really bright and they usher them into to heaven. And it's, you know, it's really cool. But then every once in a while, it's like, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And the angel looks through the book and then they don't have any lines. They just go. And then when that happens, the lights go red because everyone know hell is red. And... And, 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 the, and all the lights go red. And then these like really cheesy looking demon type things come out from behind the stage. Like people dressed up in all black because all demons are dressed in black. I don't know why. And they come out and they like grab the people and then they pull them and they're like screaming. Well, if you don't know who God is, you don't have any context. I promise you that place scared the hell out of more people over the course of how of the many years. Like, cause people were just like, I don't know about God and all this, but I don't want to go to hell. That looks scary. Relationship with God is so much more than just the fear of going to hell. We're not interested in people living a life doing religious things just to get their fire premiums paid up so they don't burn in hell. It's so much more than that. It is about life and life to the full. But I do want you to have some confidence about the price that was paid for you and the love that your heavenly father has for you because of that price. 
until you have that, fear will lead you. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you're just struggling with fear, maybe you know the Lord, or you just struggle with some fear, maybe the fear of death, it's been a little bit of a stronghold in your life. I'd encourage you here in a little bit. We're gonna worship God one more time and, and we're gonna have our prayer team down here. And, and whether it's about the subject of fear or any other subject, you're struggling, struggling maybe in finances or relationships or whatever it might be. If you need prayer, please come and let somebody pray with you and declare over you God's promises, God's decrees, God's word. You don't have to walk out of this place still gripped in fear. But there's some of you, what you're wrestling with right now is that conviction. You know that nothing is satisfying you. There's nothing that's truly brought you, brought you wholeness, truly brought you joy. These are foreign concepts to you. The truth is you chase after a lot of different things and it gives temporary reproval. You, you can feel good for a little bit like, ah, okay, that was nice. Oh man, that was a fun party. Oh man, that was a good drink. Oh man, that was a good hit. Oh man, that was, uh, uh, that was a great night in this, this ungodly relationship, whatever it might be. But you've tried to find all these different things and you try them. At the end of the day, you know that the next morning you're gonna wake up still feeling empty. A few years down the road, you're still not gonna feel unfulfilled relationally. Whatever it is, you're still feeling empty. God hasn't created you to live that way any longer. But there is only one thing that fills it, and that's his presence. And the only way you can get his presence, he did everything. He paid the price, but he will not force his way into your life. You have to be open to it. You gotta be willing to admit that You've made some mistakes, just like we all have, just like I have. The word says that all have sinned, everyone, everyone. No one is exempt from that, everyone. We all need a savior. He is a holy God. And the only way that we can be around a holy God is a price has to be paid for our sin. And it is by believing that in simple faith, you don't have to have all the answers right now. God will help you with those answers. That's what the church is for. That's a relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is for. But right now, if you wanna have some confidence about who you really are, who God created you to be, it's gonna start with a personal relationship with Him. And I wanna give you an opportunity to have that. And what I'm getting ready to do, what I'm getting ready to ask you to do is not what gets you saved. This is, you're saved through faith. But the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you can be saved. You can make the decision in your heart, but I believe as soon as you make an act of your free will, a demonstration of admitting, like a physical demonstration, yes, that's me, I need God. Then that's when you're gonna experience faith being released inside of you. His, His grace hitting you. So if you're in this room and you're away from God, maybe you need to come back to Him. Maybe you were close to Him at one point in your life, but you've, you've been drifting away from Him for a long time or you've just never, you've never surrendered your life to Him. Nobody's looking around and I'm not gonna embarrass you. But if you wanna be included in a prayer, I'm getting ready to pray. 
and you're ready to give your life to him, I want you to put your hand up right now. Don't hesitate. Do it with boldness. And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Got it. Thank you, guys. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Got it. Anyone else? I need him. I'm away from him. I need a relationship with God. Thank you, guys. I got you guys down here in the front. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Some of you are wrestling with this. Some of you are still worried about who's sitting next to you. Trust me, if they really care about you and they love you, they, they want you to make this decision because it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It impacts eternity. Is there anyone else? Thank you, I got you. Anybody else? Okay, those, those folks that raise your hand, we're just gonna talk to them. We're just gonna say a simple prayer, something like this. You can just say this, say, God, here's my life and I know that it's jacked up. I've made more mistakes than I can count. And I know that I can't save myself because I've tried, I've tried to find fulfillment. I've tried to find happiness and wholeness and joy and I haven't found any of those things. And I don't understand everything about what's happening right now, but I, I sense that you're trying to get me to, to have a relationship with you and, and I want that. So I believe, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I don't understand how anyone would, would do that for someone like me, but I believe in faith that he did it. And I, and I ask for forgiveness for my sin. I ask for forgiveness. And I want you to have control of my life. I, I, I surrender to you as my Lord and Savior. I thank you that you didn't just die. You rose from the grave. You defeated death. You defeated my sin so I can have grace for today. And I know I'm not gonna be perfect and I know I'm gonna make mistakes, but God, I wanna walk in my purpose in you. Help me to understand what that is by the leading of your spirit, by an understanding of your word, by the relationships that I need with other people to believe what I now believe. I give my life to you. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for moving in their life. Thank you for meeting them right there in their chair. God, I know you're not done doing work here. So I pray that you'd work in Jesus' name.